that you must be born again. How many of you in here believe that you've been born again? All right. And aren't you thankful to God for amazing grace, how sweet the sound. All right, let's read the words of Jesus, John 3, and and verses 1 through 8. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said this to him, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things you do unless God's with him. Now, let me tell you what he was expecting right there. He was expecting Jesus to give him a high five and say, Nicodemus, you've got it. Way to go. I am a teacher sent from God because nobody could do what I'm doing unless they were sent from God. He thought it was going to gain him points. But Jesus wheeled around and said this to him. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is blown away. He said, wait a minute. How can a man be born when he is old? This sounded like crazy talk. Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus, what are you talking about? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Then he tells why. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, Nicodemus, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Father, we thank you for your word today and pray that you will bring it home and help us, Lord, to get it, really get it in a fresh way that we can not only check our own lives out to make sure we have been born again, but carry this powerful word to a dying culture. And we thank you for it. Will you breathe a prayer and say, Lord, speak to me today in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, turn to your neighbor and tell him you must be born again. You really must. Now, Nicodemus went to Jesus by night. No doubt he went stealth-like so that no one would see him go because he wasn't just a Pharisee. He was a leader of the Pharisees, a lead teacher. If you lived in Israel in these days, in, in the Jerusalem area, you knew who Nicodemus was. You knew him because he was a teacher. He was in the synagogues. He knew the Old Testament like the back of his hand. Yet, he comes to Jesus and says, look, we're getting it. I'm telling you officially as a Pharisee, we're starting to get it. You came from God. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, that's not enough. That's not enough. Let me tell you what you're going to have to do, what you're going to have to experience. You're going to have to be born twice, Nicodemus, or you're never going to see the kingdom of God. And as of right now, that hasn't happened to you. You need to be, you must be born a second time. This completely blew him away. He did not understand it. How can this happen, Lord? How can you be born twice? And Jesus said, I'm telling you, you must be born again or you will not see the kingdom of God. Now, that little phrase that Jesus coined, born again, has been so diluted, polluted, watered down, washed away in our day. Let me give you an example. The Barna Group 
The Barna Group is a polling organization that follows uh, trends and belief patterns in the church. They've done many polls on people who said, oh yeah, I've been born again. And they poll them. They've done large nationwide polls. And one of their recent polls was released with this title. Here's what it said. Born-again Christians just as likely to divorce as are non-Christians. Now, underneath that, it went on to say, some of the further results of the poll are that only 9% of evangelicals tithe. And of 12,000 teenagers who took the pledge to wait for marriage before they were intimate with somebody, 80% of those 12,000 had sex outside marriage in the next seven years. And then the poll ended with this high note. 26% of traditional evangelicals don't even think premarital sex is wrong. One out of four who say they're born again don't even believe premarital sex is wrong. In other words, there was a gist, a message underneath this poll. And the message underneath this poll bothers me. It, 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 it troubles me. Here's the message. The evangelical church in America is very much just like the world. They go to church on Sunday. They have a veneer of religion, but their religious faith is basically an add-on to the way the world lives, not a radically transforming power. In other words, being born again doesn't really make any difference in your life. That's the message of that poll. If you say you're born again, I'll look at you and I'll look at somebody in the world who has never professed Christianity, and I'll show you that the two of you are very much alike, and what's the big deal about born again? Because it's obviously not a radically transforming experience. You know, the Bible would really radically disagree with that. Now, on top of that bad reflection on people claiming to be born again, keep that in mind and think with me that the very term born again has been systematically degraded in our culture where it doesn't mean anything or it can mean anything. Give me an example. These days, the term born again simply means somebody got a new lease on life. Oh, yeah, I've been born again. You can... You can put born again and Google it and go to the internet and you'll, you'll read things like this, that Cisco Systems, a communications company, has been born again. Really? Or that the green movement has been born again. Or that a sports team has been born again. Well, what are they saying by that? They're saying that sports team was really spiraling down, but they got another coach and that coach is really infusing fresh life into them. So now they are a born-again team. In other words, we don't even know what born-again means anymore. Born-again just means you've got a new start. You've, got a, you, you've made a New Year's resolution. You've turned the corner. You've dropped some bad habit or, or something like that. So you're born again. That is not at all what Jesus meant when he said, you must be born again. So we have every right in the world to be skeptical when we read things like, according to Barna, 45% of Americans say they've been religiously born again. I'm going to tell you, that is not, cannot be true. If 45% of Americans had been born again, we would be in red hot, God sent, devil stomping, Holy Ghost revival. 
if 45% of Americans had really been born again. So that means people are saying, oh, yeah, I've been born again, and they do not know what they're claiming to have experienced. I assure you 45% of Americans have not been born again. Now, I've learned a good rule of thumb is when all else fails, and it usually will sooner or later, follow directions, and the directions of Scripture are best. When all else fails, go to the Bible. What does the Bible say? Let me tell you what the Bible says about being born again. The Bible says with absolute certainty that being born again radically changes a person's life. It's not a New Year's resolution. It's not rehab. It's not renovation. It's transformation. If you've been born again, it'll show. We will be able to tell the difference between your lifestyle and the lifestyle of somebody that's never said, I've been born again. We will be able to see a difference, church. There will be a marked difference, and I'm going to show you that in a moment. Now, the Bible goes on to point out that many professing Christians are, in fact, not radically changed. The Bible addresses that. You got it. You bet. There are people who say they were a part of us, but they finally went out from us because they were not of us. And the Bible also goes on to... Based on that observation, the Bible says this, if their lives have not been radically changed, they're probably not born again. They can be in church. They can know Bible verses. They can teach Sunday school. They can actually stand behind the pulpit and be the preacher and not be born again. You know the right words, know know the right moves. You know how to uh, suave your way through religious circles. But the fact of the matter is, the people that know you best know for a fact there's been no radical transformation in your life. Uh, You you look like the world, talk like the world, live like the world, but you say you're born again. And, And the only reason I'm sharing this is because we've got to get back to the Bible. We have got to get back to what Jesus meant by this phrase. Like Billy Graham said, Billy Graham said, the greatest harvest field in America is the church where a whole lot of people go there, there are hundreds of thousands of people in church today who have not been born again. Let me give you today some New Testament descriptions of somebody who's truly been born again. And I'm going to give you the premier verse. Here's the best verse about what born again really looks like. 2 Corinthians 5.17. This is a great verse. It ought to encourage everybody in here who's really been born again. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a brand new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Now, let me just pluck a little phrase out of there, a brand new creation. Do you know what this means? This is such a radical statement. It's such a powerful statement. It it literally is the same idea as when God stepped into time and said, let there be, and there were mammals, and there were birds, and there were fishes of the sea. And when God flung the stars into space and created everything we see, hear, taste, and smell, he created something out of nothing. 
He created ex nihilo, the Latin. Ex nihilo, something came out of nothing. God spoke and it was. And something was brand new created. It's the same idea when a person comes to Christ and repents of their sin and puts faith in Jesus Christ and says, forgive me. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit at that very moment creates an incredible miracle, a brand new creation. You become a brand new person. It's not renovation. He doesn't come into the, to some old house and repaint it and reconfigure the furniture and put in a new floor. That's not what it's talking about. We're not renovated. We are transformed. He, he doesn't do renovation. He does transformation. It's a miracle. It's the greatest miracle available to a person on planet Earth right now today. There is no greater miracle than somebody being truly born again. Because it creates inside of us a brand new being. Ezekiel said, I'm going to take out your heart of stone and I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I am going to change you from the inside out. So the Holy Ghost is breathed into our inner man and we are literally risen from the spiritual dead and we are made to be a brand new creation. Brand new. So that it's not a religion where you've got rules and regulations and you're taking on some creed that you're going to live by, like some philosophy you might choose. No, you are the recipient of a genuine miracle from heaven. When you say, Jesus, come into my life, he comes into you and changes you. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Another version puts it this way. Whoever is a believer in Christ is a new creation. The old way of living has disappeared and a new way of living has come into existence. Wow. And guess what? You don't have to do it. He does it. You're on his surgery table. As a matter of fact, the Bible says we are his workmanship created for good works. We are on the potter's wheel. We have been radically transformed. And the Bible's point is, if that has happened to you, it's going to show. Come on, everybody. Don't shot me down today. The wheels are turning, I can see. I'm not trying to make you think you're not born again, but if your life hadn't changed, you may not be born again. The Bible paints... A further picture of what it looks like to be born again. Listen to this, 1 John 2, 29. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So it doesn't mean we're perfect because we never will be perfect. I sin every week. I sin, I, I repent every morning. I think things, say things that I shouldn't think or say. Things come out of my mouth. I say, where'd that come from? Y'all look at me with your halos over your head. <laughs> and I have to say, Lord, forgive me. I'm not perfect. I, I, listen, I'm not perfect, but I'm sure not what I used to be. And, and, and God came into my life and changed my heart because I was born twice, born again. 1 John 3, 9 says, Nobody born of God makes a practice of sinning. 
for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. John is not saying Christians are never going to sin again. He said, your old sinful lifestyle, that old sinful lifestyle you were living when Jesus came into your life, you no longer live that old sinful lifestyle. You have been brought from death to life, from lost to found, from blind to sight. You have been radically transformed. So it affects your walk. It affects your talk. It affects the way you live. You can't get away from that. This is not a religion we preach. It is a radically transforming relationship. First John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So we've been born again, born twice, then love is growing in our heart towards other people. We're more empathetic. We're more compassionate. We, we care more. We don't have that stony heart of callousness and disregard and apathy towards human beings or other things in life. We have love that grows because we've been born of, of God. First John 5, 4, here's another one. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. So he that has been born of God is no longer entangled in the world like they were when they were lost, when you had no choice. You went through the motions of sin because you had no choice. First John 5, 18 is the last one I'm going to read. We know that everybody who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. Do you see how John is making the case that if you have truly been born again, it's going to show in these various areas. You can't get away from it. And you know what? It comes natural to you when you've been born again. Let me just sum it up. He who has been born again no longer practices a sinful lifestyle, is a person who grows in love for others, and is one that has victory over the lures and enticements of the world. Now, again, let me say, he is not telling us that who is the, the person who has been born again never sins again. Anybody in here sinned yet this year? Because I was going to call out the liars right now and have an altar call. <clears throat> of course we sin, but there is a difference between sinning and saying, God, forgive me, and living out a sinful lifestyle with no conviction. That person has not been born again. Now back to Jesus and Nicodemus and this incredible talk they start having. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, 7, you must be born again. Notice he didn't say I suggest it. He didn't say, Nicodemus, your life is really going to be improved if you have this experience. He said, Nicodemus, let me tell you the truth. You think you're going to heaven based on the fact that you're a teacher of the Word of God and whatnot. He said, let me tell you the truth. You must be born, must, 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 have to, if you're ever going to see the kingdom of God, if you're ever going to go to heaven. If you're ever going to cross over to the other side, you have to be born twice. He said, you must. So why in the world was Jesus so adamant about this? Why was Jesus a, you, you've got to do this? Why? Why was he so strong about it? 
Well, first let me tell you what the term really means. The what. Here's the what. What. You must be born again. That's what he said. What did he mean? The Greek term is this, and I know you don't know Greek, but I'm just going to show it to you anyway. It's ganao anathen. And if you knew Greek and you read that, you would know that it means born from above. When Jesus said you must be born again, ganao anathen means you must be born from above. In other words, God must beget you. You must be begotten by God spiritually, or how will you ever say, Abba, Father? If you're not begotten by God, how can you ever call him Daddy? How can you ever call him Heavenly Father? Jesus said to his own, he said, I want you to pray this way, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Well, how can we call him Father unless we've had an experience with him where he has begotten us on the inside and we are literally his child? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born from above, begotten by God, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Born from above means that God himself, through his word and through his spirit, births us on the inside into a brand new life. What a miracle. Muhammad can't do that for you. Neither can Confucius or Buddha, and neither can you yourself looking for the God that is within you. Can I tell you the truth? Don't look for the God that is within you, because until you're born again, there is no God within you. You are created by God, but you are not begotten of God until you come to Christ, and he becomes your father. Until then, Jesus told the Pharisees and Sadducees, your father is the devil. Oh, Jesus. He was not out there. When Jesus spoke, he was not, not out to, to win popularity contests. He said, your father is the devil until you're born twice, and then God is your father. Now, I'm going to talk about that more in just a moment, but that's, that's the what. The what. You must be born from above, begotten by God, or you're not saved. So that's the what. But then there's a why. Why is it so important we become born again? Why go through... Why not just have a good intention and say, okay, Lord, I know you're there and, and, I, and I believe in you. Why should we have to go through this radical, life-transforming experience on the inside? Why? Jesus told us why. Because that which is born of flesh cannot enter into God's kingdom. Jesus said that which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say to you, you must be born twice, born again, born from above. Here's what he's telling us. We literally have to be fitted for heaven. Now, now I love the ocean, and I love snorkeling. I've never scuba dived, but let me tell you what. <clears throat> if I decided that I wanted to live under the water, and I didn't get fitted for it, I'm dead in a minute or two. I have to get fitted to go under the water and stay there for an extended period of time because I am born a human being and I don't have gills. So I must put on scuba equipment if I want to go down there and stay in that water for an extended period of time or it will kill me. Here's what Jesus is saying. You as flesh cannot enter the kingdom of God until you have got the gear. And the gear is a new nature. Because what is born of flesh is flesh, and what is born of spirit is spirit. 
So you must be born again, or you will not be fitted, geared up, prepared for the kingdom of God. Well, why? What, what, what is wrong with our flesh? It's fallen. The word flesh that Jesus used means corrupt, defiled, sinful. Now, if you're here in our church for very long, you're going to hear me tell you and myself often, we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. We are not naturally godly. We don't have to teach our children to be bad. We don't have to say, Johnny, would you quit being so good? Would you quit being so good? Let me show you how to be bad. Is that your experience with parenting, anybody? No, we're always having to say, what in the world is wrong with you? Here's what is right. Here is what is good. Here's why I'm spanking you, because you did wrong. Nobody had to teach Johnny to do wrong. He didn't go through school to learn to be wrong. He did wrong all on his own. It's that flesh that cannot enter the kingdom of God. Here's what our flesh behaves like until we are saved. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, temper tantrums, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, jealousy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I tell you about these things in advance, as I told you before. Now listen to what he says. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why won't they inherit the kingdom of God? Because clearly that person has not been born twice. Because they're practicing those things. Our first birth is very, very similar to our second birth. A lot of similarities. Think about it. When you're born, it's the beginning of your existence. It's the beginning of life. It's when your eyes first see light. It's when you're first aware of brand new surroundings. But our first birth also introduces us to the world of sin, guaranteed. We all go astray early on, every one of us. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him because of that the iniquity of us all. All men transgress and break God's law. The Bible says the imaginations of the thoughts of our heart are evil from our youth up. We are conceived in sin, said David, and brought forth in iniquity. There is none that does good, no, not one. The carnal mind we're born with, the Bible says, is the very enemy of God. And by nature, we are dead in trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, verse 1. Job wrote, Yet man is born to get into trouble as surely as sparks fly upward out of a fire. All these verses prove to us one thing. We needed a Savior, and we need a radical transformation. And that's what Jesus came to do. He did not come to give us a religion. He came to transform our lives from the inside out. Salvation is an inside job. Second birth is the same way. The beginning of our new life in Christ is called the new birth because in many ways it's just like the natural birth. It's the beginning of our spiritual life. It introduces us to the light of the gospel. It's the moment when we first really begin to live for our heavenly destiny. It's the moment when God reveals himself to us as Father. And as every man is a sinner, 
It is a must that everyone experience this change and be born twice or they cannot, will not enter the kingdom of God. Well, Pastor, I've been in church all my life, so sit in a, in a, in a garage for years, it won't turn you into a car. <laughs> Sitting in a church doesn't do anything to you. Sometimes it'll make you worse. You hear the gospel so many times, you become inoculated. So every man must have two births, one from the earth, one from heaven, one of his body, the other of his soul. Without the first birth, he can't see or experience this life. And without the second birth, he cannot see or ever experience that life. So we have a what? You must be born again. And a why? Flesh can't enter the kingdom of God. But what about how? How can I experience this change? It's very simple. Did you know that John 3.16, most familiar verse in the Bible, was Jesus quoting that to Nicodemus? Jesus continues the talk. Nicodemus says, how can I be born twice? And Jesus told him, for God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes puts faith in him to wash their sins away. Whoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life because at the moment you put your faith in him, a miracle happens within you and you are born twice. Jesus said, believe on me. It's the gospel. If you want to know what the gospel is, it's John three sixteen. God so loved us. He couldn't help himself. He gave his only begotten son. When Jesus stretched out his arms and feet on that cross and they nailed those nails in and he was beaten beyond recognition and they lifted up that cross and dropped it into the ground and the Son of God began to breathe his last breaths. Mercy kissed judgment on that cross. God's wrath was poured out on the sacrificed lamb. The wrath for our adulteries, our foul language, our drug abuse, our filthy lives, our sin. It was all dumped on the Lamb of God. And that's when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And God satisfied his need to bring justice for our sin. And he laid it on the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the same time, mercy reached out to you and me and says, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. The gospel is so powerful. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm John 3.16. Because it's the power of God. It is. It carries. It brings. It relays. It communicates the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes it. Thank God. Now, Jesus ended it with this. He said, he said, Nicodemus, I want you to think about the wind. It comes from you not, know not where. Suddenly, there can be a strong wind. You don't know, Nicodemus, where it came from, and you don't know where it's going. He said, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit, who is born twice, born again, born from above. What was Jesus saying? You can't see a wind. 
But you can see a tree hit by the wind, and you can see it bow and rattle and shake and the leaves blown off. And if the wind is strong enough, it can uproot that tree and lay it down. You can see the wind kick up trash and dust and dirt off the ground and carry it into the sky. You can feel the wind and see the wind blow your hair and blow a house down and do all kinds, but you can't see the wind. Here's what he was saying. You can't see the Holy Spirit that blows across the life of somebody, but you can see the result of it. You can see their lives change, bend, transform. You go, how did that happen? Well, I heard John 3, 16, something touched me. And I looked up and said, Jesus, forgive me. And that same wind that touched my life came in and lived inside of me. Something happened to me and I was raised from the spiritual dead. I am not reformed. I am not renovated. I am not rehabilitated. I am transformed by the power of the living God. That's our gospel. Can you stand with me today? And you know what's cool? Here's, this is really cool. When Jesus was killed, crucified, you know who was there to help them get the body? Nick. Odemus. He was there. I believe he walked away from that meeting going, I thought I had arrived, but I hadn't. Somewhere along the way, Nicodemus put his faith in Jesus. And Nicodemus was born from above. Can you bow with me just for a moment of prayer? Are you sure you're born from above? Are you sure that you've been born again, born twice? That Jesus has come into your heart, transformed you from the inside out, the evidence of there is there. The change is there. Those around you who know you best could testify that, yes, indeed, they were born again. I see the difference. If there's a question mark in your mind, do you know what? I'm not here to judge you for that at all because I was there. If there's a question mark in your mind, I want to encourage you to do something today. Settle it. Settle the issue. Why would you go out, get in your car, and drive down the highway if there's a question mark whether or not you've been born twice? You must, or you're never going to see the kingdom of God, period. I'm not here to point a finger at you, look down on you at all. I care about you, and he so much more than me. So I want you to think about it for a second. Say, you know, Pastor Jeff, when I'm alone with my thoughts, the thought has occurred to me. I've wondered, if I've been born twice, have I really been transformed like I see in the lives of other people around me? If you've got that question mark, would you slip your hand up? And I want to pray with you today. 
Put it high where I can see you. Because God wants it settled. God bless you. God bless you. God wants it settled. Now, how many of you can say, you know, Pastor, I used to walk with the Lord, but I've gotten away. Can I tell you, if there was ever a time to come back to the cross and come home, the porch light is still on in God's house. The welcome sign is still up. He'll still run to meet you, fall on your neck, kiss you, put a robe on you, shoes on your feet, a ring on your finger, and kill the fatted calf rejoicing that you have come home. You can say, Pastor, that's me. I've drifted, but I want to come back. I need to come home. I need to commit my life to him in a fresh way. Raise your hand. Let me see you. God bless many of you. I want to ask you to do something. There's many of you. I want you to slip out and I want you to just to come down here. Stand in front of me. Don't care about what people think. Who cares what people think? Why would you worry about what people think? Jesus walked naked up Golgotha's hill for you. I want you to come. Say, why do I need to come down there? Because the moment you take a step, it's the step of faith. Faith is an action verb. Just come right down here. Stand in front of me, right over here. And we're going to sing just a couple of stanzas. And then I'm going to pray with you. You come. If you feel that nudge on your heart, that's not you. That's the Holy Spirit saying, come on. Come on. 